episode 831 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Ben Lindbergh of 538, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. 831. It's a lot. Periodically, <laughs> you're struck by how many episodes we've done. It does. It to be every, every 40 episodes or so. It sneaks up on you. Back. Yeah, no, it sneaks up on you, and then it just, it just hits you like the flu. Yeah, well... I'm going to assume that you're doing okay, and I'm going to continue with this introduction. Sure. We are doing the Tigers preview podcast today. Later in this episode, George Bissell will talk to Jason Beck, who covers the Tigers for MLB.com. But first, we are talking to the author of the Tigers essay and the BP annual and a colleague of mine at 538, as well as a recent contributor to some other sites like Slate and Wall Street Journal, Rob Arthur. Hey, Rob. Hey. So your essay was probably my my favorite flavor of annual essay, where you sort of slip in some research in the guise of a team essay, very relevant to the team. And I wouldn't say that the conclusions were surprising. They were sort of intuitive, but also sort of satisfying to see. So you looked at basically what happens to teams like the Tigers, teams that were in the Tigers situation last year not winning very much with a lousy farm system. And you also factored payroll into it too. So what did you find about in general, what the outlook is for a team in the Tigers situation in 2015 and maybe what the outlook is for a team specifically the Tigers? Um, So in the general case, the Tigers were in a really bad position last year because they lost a lot of games. They had a really terrible farm system and they spent a lot of money. So that was a team that was deeply flawed. Um, And when I looked at those teams uh, in the recent past, they tend to do pretty poorly in the next several years. But I did notice that there was a really big difference between those teams when they were rich teams versus when they were poor teams. So Mm -hmm. if it was a rich team, they could come back pretty quickly and they got almost back to 500 in the following year. So they were almost immediately back into at least semi-competitiveness. If they're a poor team, though, it could take them up to a decade, I think, to come back to a point of actually being competitive. Yeah, 12 years you found for the median winning percentage to rise over 500. That's, that's a really long time to ask a fan to wait. Right. So it really highlights the fact that the rich teams have these really rapid competitive cycles where they can go through bad years, but then they can recover very quickly and go back to being good teams. But poor teams have to wait a lot longer to accrue draft picks and uh, build up farm systems and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and it sort of drives home how dependent this team is on Mike Illich, the owner, because as you point out in the essay, the Tigers are sort of outspending their market size and they haven't throughout Illich's time owning the team, which is over 20 years, but they have in recent years very consistently and and by a clear margin. And so really just Illich alone and his willingness to perhaps spend more than more penny-pinching owners would be are taking them from this team that might have to wait a decade to be good again to 
a team that history suggests might be good again very soon. That's like a lot of owner wins above replacement. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to think of it as uh, win- owner wins above replacement. Um, yeah, and he's he's very enigmatic, I think, in terms of his priorities and what he's what he's thinking about. So if he decides to keep spending, then they'll be back in the in the thick of things. And at least this past off season, he did uh, give out some pretty long contracts. If he decides to revert back to the Detroit sort of what would be the normal spending for a team with Detroit's market size, then they could be in for a very long time before they have a more competitive team. I, I can't think of a single owner in the sport that I would rather have owning my... I mean, we tended to think of owners almost inevitably as either non-entities or negative. And Mike Illich is like kind of the dream, right? Like he only cares about winning. Like that is like the, the singular desire that he has. And he is in that way, you know, put the Tigers in a position to uh, compete for seasons when, you know, compete for the championship when they're good and also bring them back from seasons when they're not good. I mean, it's like, it's like the dream situation. It's, it's like, I don't know exactly how to put this, but like Tigers fans probably don't have, there's probably like nothing better about being a Tigers fan than having an owner who is just completely spending beyond his means in a way to make them specifically happy. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's an upside and a downside to it, right? The upside is what you're saying, like, he's, he wants them to win, and he's willing to invest a lot of resources to make that happen. The downside, though, I think, is that he's getting convinced in some cases to sign really big contracts for players that um, maybe don't deserve those big contracts. And in some cases, there were reports, for example, that Boris went above the GMs, above Dave Dombrowski's head to get Illich to sign these contracts. So in that way, that his um, the fact that he's willing to invest so much money can actually be a problem for the management of the team if, if they're spending a lot of money on players that don't deserve it. Well, I mean, it, it definitely would be if you saw a clear limit. And I'm about to point out that there might be a clear limit. But like the Tigers have signed a bunch of these guys to long contracts that didn't work out that well. Prince Fielder obviously didn't work out that well, although they were, they were able to escape it. Uh, Justin Verlander didn't work out that well. Uh, Miguel Cabrera has worked out pretty well. And it's really just starting, though. <laughs> I mean, his contract yeah, yeah. No, starts that, like this year. That's true. Miguel Cabrera is definitely a, a long-term liability for you know, a fairly old, big dude. And so you, know, you take this team that had already been spending a ton of money and had a lot of long-term contracts and won 74 games. And you would normally like, I mean, that's the point of your essays. Like you would normally look at that team and go, oh, well, they're in a terrible situation. And they still managed to have one of the most active off seasons. They signed two of the, you know, top four or five free agents and Zimmerman and Upton. They got Frankie Rodriguez and, and um, Cameron Maben, who are both, you know, mid to big market type of acquisitions. So it's not totally clear that there's a limit. Now the, the, one counter to that is that, in fact, the Tigers have managed to or you know, persistently stayed just below or at the uh, luxury tax threshold. So I guess it's not clear that there there isn't a limit. And you wonder whether that luxury tax threshold is, in fact, limiting them from doing what they really need to do to, uh, you know, to be good again. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. The other point to, to be made there is that if there's ever a change of ownership or if Illich dies and they go to a, an owner who's yeah. much less willing to thank you, money, thank you. That is, we want this podcast. And there will be a huge correction where they're carrying all these giant contracts and maybe have someone who is not willing to to pay for new replacements for these players. And that could potentially make the competitive cycle even longer and, and make it even worse. So 
that's another problem with his his strategy, Illich's strategy. Yeah, I think we have talked at some point, at one point not that long ago, about how poorly the Tigers would be, would be positioned if uh, Mike Illich were no longer the owner and they had all these long-term liabilities on them. How, how bad do you think it looks if you imagine a scenario where a new owner came in and said, well, geez, we can't afford $180 million payroll. We're actually, by the fundamentals, a mid-market team, and we need to you know, cut $50 million. Are they in a position where they're potentially set up for a really bad decade? Yeah, I think that that would sort of revert them to the sort of poor team trend line in the in the graph that I made. That would put them on a path where, yeah, there might be a full decade before they had anything resembling a competitive team again, especially with how long these contracts are. I mean, as Ben said, the Miguel Cabrera contract is just beginning, really. So if you factor that in, they could be even worse than your average team in that position. So instead of it being 12 years, maybe they're 15 years. Like, they're really long contracts and um, really, the team is not or would not be geared to pay for for new uh, players if unless they had an owner that was really willing to do that. And of those two, Cabrera and Verlander, who are both entering their age thirty three seasons and are both coming off seasons that were in some ways sort of close to peak in a sense. I mean, Cabrera was excellent, one of the best hitters in baseball, but not quite as durable as he had been as a younger player. And Verlander went from looking like his days as an ace were definitely over to being great again, you know, by some measures, just about as good as he had been at his peak. So if you had to bet for 2016, which one would you say comes closer to their past prime production and maybe say, you know, three years from now or five years from now, which one is still closer? I would bet on Cabrera for both of those. Uh, just uh-huh. I think because, well, I think Cabrera was is maybe the better player generally. That's hard to weigh with position players versus p- pitchers. That's sort of my gut feeling. Mm-hmm. But then also you have the, the injury factor, which is a, a shortening pitcher careers. I think a lot recently, and I think that you know one or a couple of bad injuries and Verlander is done. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if he still wants to compete. It doesn't matter if he's still in good condition, except for some, you know, torn ligament in his elbow or something. So I would always bet on the, on the long-term position player aging versus pitcher aging. Mm -hmm. Miguel Cabrera, by the way, has vesting options for 2024 and 2025, which I quietly (laughs) laughed to myself at how far (laughs) away that is. That is a decade away, you guys. Yeah. (laughs) A decade. Miguel Cabrera, who we all think of as old. (laughs) Yeah. So do you think that the first offseason without Dave Dombrowski had any non-Dombrowski hallmarks? Or do you think you could have replaced Alavila with Dombrowski and the Tigers basically would have had the same offseason? That is a great question. It's especially difficult because Dombrowski has now gone on to another team and is, I don't know, maybe behaving a little bit differently than what he did when he was in charge of the Tigers. So it's like, it's hard to decouple what is Dave Dombrowski versus what is Mike Illich and etc. Yeah. I guess what to answer what you're saying, I think that there was nothing overtly different from what Alavilla did this offseason than what Dombrowski might have done. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it I guess it provides us a little bit of data that when Dombrowski was signing these giant extensions, it wasn't necessarily his preference. It was Illich's preference because, or these extensions and also new free agent contracts because what's happened this past offseason was that they went out and got, as Sam said, two of the best free agents, despite the fact that they might have maybe should have been in uh, rebuilding mode. So to that extent, it seems like 
some of what we thought was Dave Dombrowski was actually Mike Illich, and that's basically continued on. And I, I would say that nothing nothing that happened this past offseason was so different from Dombrowski that uh, it's clear what the new direction is going to be. Mm-hmm. And it does seem at least like the deals that they signed this year don't really go into the same bucket as the really bad ones that everyone thought were bad right away, whether it was Verlander and Cabrera where those extensions were signed seemingly before they had to be, or the Victor Martinez contract, which raised a lot of red flags right away. The Upton and Zimmerman deals, while of course, you know, any contract over a hundred million and that lasts as long as they do could turn out to be bad. It didn't seem like at least at the time that they were signed, those seemed like particularly terrible contracts. That is true. Although they didn't have that many more people on the team to extend because they've given <laughs> contracts to most of them, most That's of the true. good ones. Anyways. So James, maybe James just... McCann gets a nine year. <laughs> they gave JD Martinez a two year instead of a 14 year. Right. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's progress. <laughs> Do you think that they fix the bullpen? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I never know how to predict bullpens uh, at all. So I just, my default assumption is that it's going to be average. Although mm-hmm. they've had, they had a long record of not having average bullpens. So if anything, my prior is a little bit above average, or a little bit below average and nothing they did really, uh, like they didn't sign, you know, an ace reliever to, to bolster that. First of all, by the way, Little Caesars was founded in 1959. I can't think of a more 1990s brand than Little Caesars. I would have guessed that it was founded in 1988. Like that is the classic like 1988 business. The fact that it was founded in 1959, like what were they doing for 20 years? Like can you imagine Little Caesars existing in like during the civil rights era? Like that doesn't it just doesn't make sense to me. Mike Illich is 86, which is old. I agree. The catchphrase, the catchphrase was introduced in 1979. So I guess they were waiting for pizza pizza. <laughs> My, <laughs> Mike Illich is 86, which is uh, fairly old. I, I don't know. Like I'm not his doctor. I don't know how healthy he is. But to me, 86 is not like that old. Like you're not you, – like, I know what the average life expectancy for an American male 86 years old is. Tell me. 5.4 years. All right. Thank you. All right. So let's do that. So <laughs> so 5.4 years. So this is not, as a uh, as a source once told me, this is not, like you're still buying green bananas, okay, when you're when you're 86. <laughs> all right. So so if you had, if you figured you had 5.6 years left <laughs> to live. Village <laughs> <laughs> discussions always get so morbid. Yeah. <laughs> he looks good. I mean, I would be surprised if, I would be surprised if he's not here for the end of Miguel Cabrera's contract. Still has all his hair. And so very it, natural looking. Yeah, and it's not even gray. No. So <laughs> so do you think there's some sort of do, like do you get the feeling that there's a a little bit of unnecessary panic here? Like if you were if you were given 5.6 years with this roster, what would you do? Would you sign Justin Upton and Jordan Zimmerman and and Frankie Rodriguez or do you think there is actually a way to turn this roster into a World Series title that is that is better than continually signing whoever uh, Scott Boris shows up at your door with. That's that's a great question. I think I would do exactly what he's done. I don't I don't blame him at all. It makes sense, with the exception of some of these long extensions that he didn't need to give, um, like Victor Martinez. That was a dumb one. I don't know how they're going to get any value out of that. But Victor, Mar- Victor, that- Mar- wait, 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 wait. Victor Martinez was super good, like, like literally, like fourteen months ago. Like he was awesome, not that long ago. So, I mean, I agree with you, but it's not like 
you know. It's- okay, so Victor Martinez was super good, but he was also atypically good for the rest of his, uh, you know, considering the rest of his career before that moment. I actually wrote an article. I feel I feel pretty good about this because this is one of the few predictions I've ever made that has turned out well so far. It'll probably end up getting screwed up this year and next year. But I wrote an article right after the extension saying that this was like a classic example of how not to extend someone because Martinez had just had this year that was like way, way, way better than anything he'd done before in terms of his hitting. And he was pretty old and there was no indication that like something fundamental about Victor Martinez had changed that was going to make it so that he was always going to have this year for the next five years. And it turned out that, um, you know, he, he is old and he, uh, he got injured and um, I don't see any indication that he's going to return to this uh, to that peak. So I, I didn't like the Martinez extension. But to go back to what you're originally asking, yeah, if, if I was Illich, I would be, if anything, spending even more money because, you know, why not? If you want to make a World Series roster really quickly, the best way is to spend a lot of money because if you're trying to build through the draft, that takes a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, if there's anything you could say about Illich, well, there's a lot of things you could say about it, but if there's anything you could say about Illich, it's th- like why not just go and spend $400 million? I keep waiting for the team that spends $400 million on payroll because what? why not? Like, why not? There's just no reason not to. Yeah. You're, you're, you know your franchise is worth, you know, $1.6 billion or whatever, and you, you don't get to take it with you. By the way, Victor Martinez, all-time leader in intentional walks for a 35-year-old. Play index, BP, <laughs> code BP, $30 for a year. Uh, it is sort of surprising that Illich... Uh, and so this can transition into a real question. It is sort of surprising that Illich has this, what seems to us to be a fairly clear direction and a fairly clear motive. And yet the luxury tax, for some reason, seems to be an impediment. This is, it kind of feels like a half measure, if anything. Yeah, I agree. It's strange that he's not blowing right past it. I just did a deep dive on the Little Caesars Wikipedia page. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> there is a pizza restaurant chain called Pizza Pizza in Canada. So Little Caesars cannot use the Pizza Pizza trademark in Canada. So instead, the Canadian slogan for Little Caesars is two pizzas. Two pizzas. (laughs) (laughs) Marion Illich, by the way, and I'm a big fan of Mike Illich because he and Marion Illich have been married uh, for for many decades, and I'm a big proponent of marriage. But Marion Illich is only 82. Ben, do you have a uh, actuarial table for an 82-year-old American woman? I of Macedonian, a I know that Macedonian for, descent. <laughs> uh, for an 86-year-old American woman, I know that it is 6.4 years, so you get an extra year if you are a woman instead of a man. But I can tell you that for an 82-year-old woman, 8.4 years. All right. Okay. So maybe focus on draft and development. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? James McCann. Ask for the, ask for the projection. Want to want to give us a win total for Marian, the 2016 Tigers? By, by the way, Marion Illich is a member of the Michigan Women's Hall of Fame, and um, so far as I can tell, nobody else I've heard of is. So that's saying she's she's one of the all-time best women in From Michigan, Michigan history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ellen Burstyn. She's number two. Ellen Burstyn. Oh. Is there a Michigan men's Hall of Fame? Oh, let's check. Nope. There is a Michigan men's <laughs> track of field Hall of Fame, but that's as close huh, as I can huh. get. Betty it's Ford. The, Betty Ford. All the famous men from Michigan are track and field stars. Aretha Franklin, actually. So, yeah, the, the further I dig into this, the less Marion stands out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
2016 Tigers, give us a win total. Uh, I will say 80 wins because I think they are uh, ever so slightly better than Dakota gives them credit for, and I think they will find someone to frame pitches better than James McCann or teach him to frame pitches better. Can I just mm-hmm. say that I, I feel like Pakoda said 78. Now that you've got your prediction on record, I can tell you. Pakoda said 78. I kind of feel like this is a pretty good team. You think? I kind of do. Like, I mean, they have they don't have a clear hole at any position other than probably catcher. They have star potential. They have a fairly deep rotation, and uh, and I'm my default is always to assume that bad bullpens will get better. So I actually would not. I'm gonna just say I would not be at all surprised if the Tigers win 90 this year. I wouldn't be surprised either. I also wouldn't be surprised if they really fall apart and go down to like 70. They have a. They seem to have like one of the bigger sort of confidence intervals of any of the teams I've thought about. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they are old. It's weird because I tend to think of big confidence intervals as being like teams that have like less track record, younger teams where you mm-hmm. could imagine, you know, development and breakouts. But I guess it works the same way when you get to the other end of that kind of parabola. And, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of guys on this team. Kinsler, Cabrera, Martinez, Rodriguez, Verlander, who you could imagine just, well, maybe their career's over. Yep. Pro- probably not Cabrera. Cabrera's really good. Average life expectancy for a 33-year-old American male is 45 years. So Cabrera is projected to outlive his contract. <laughs> Hang on. Wait, wait, that wait a minute. 45 but, additional years. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was nervous. Otherwise, it would be, it'd be pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, you can follow Rob on Twitter at NoLittlePlans. There are underscores between those words and you can find him at 538 and other places follow him on twitter to see where else he writes thank you rob thank you all right and stay tuned after the break to hear george talk to jason beck mlb.com beat writer for the tigers Welcome back to Effectively Wild. I'm George Bissell of Baseball Prospectus. Joining me now is Jason Beck. He covers the Detroit Tigers for MLB.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at BeckJason. Jason, thank you for taking the time to join us today. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on. I always look forward to doing this every spring. When you talk about the Detroit Tigers, you have to start with Miguel Cabrera. He's one of the greatest hitters of his generation. He hit three thirty-eight last year, won the American League batting title, but he had only 18 home runs, which is his lowest total in a single season since 2003, and he played in a career-low 119 games. What's the latest on Cabrera's health this spring, and how critical is it for the Tigers to have him on the field for a full season? Well, you know, I, I guess we still have to see how he looks in games, but at least in workouts, he feels really good. Uh, this was his first off season in a few years where he's really been completely healthy and he's been able to focus on strengthening and working out as opposed to, to rehabbing from a procedure or from some sort of nagging injury, something like that. Uh, and he feels so different. He was able to go out pretty hard this off season. It was kind of a throwback to his younger days when we remember that he was pretty intense about some of his off-season workouts as far as getting stronger and being able to, uh, you know, kind of build muscle and kind of get a little bit more oomph behind the swing. It's a little bit different now. 
where he's at that age where you start thinking more about flexibility and more about health. But uh, just going in with that base of health, I think, has really made a difference. His swing looks very good. He's got a lot of pop, albeit in in batting practice and IVP rather than in, in actual games. But so far, so good. Another major health concern for the Tigers is DH Victor Martinez. He was healthy in 2014 when he turned in an MVP caliber year. That netted him a four-year, $68 million contract extension last offseason. Shortly after he signed that in the winter, he hurt his left knee again for the second time in his career, had surgery. It seemed like last year he just never got fully healthy, and it really impacted his ability to drive the ball at the plate. How confident are the Tigers that Martinez, who's now 37, can get back to full strength and return to that form we saw two years ago? Well, I think what they want is a return to an effective form. I think... You know, even when they, they uh, when they did the deal after that, that big season of 2014, I, I think to expect him to repeat a season like that, I don't know if they expected you know, those types of seasons, you know, continuing on to his mid-30s. I think what they hoped for and expected was an effective switch hitter who could be a run producer even if he didn't hit for the same power. And that's really what they lacked last year. I think that's you saw the left-handed swing and how not having that really affected their offense up and down the lineup. That's what they want to get back. That's, you know, realistically, that's what they need to get back because you look at the, the batting order in the lineup, you know, it's a predominantly right-handed hitting lineup. They need him switch hitting effectively. And so far, he looks comfortable with that left-handed swing. I think we're going to see a little bit more um, as, as we get in the game and kind of see how he reacts to, to live pitching in game situations. But again, so far, so good. Can we expect 2014 on this phone? I don't think even if he's completely healthy, we can expect that. But I think because you see more along the lines of what you saw out of him you know, in 2013, maybe in 2011, where you know, he's a big RBI guy without necessarily a huge home run total. I think that's a little bit more realistic. Well, we know a healthy Victor Martinez is a productive Victor Martinez, so that's probably the best uh, case for the Tigers there. Uh, J.D. Martinez, he completely overhauled his swing during the 2014 offseason, but was released by Houston in a move I'm sure they regret now. After he signed with Detroit, he's evolved in one of the elite right-handed power hitters in the game. He's hit 61 home runs with Detroit over the past two years. Getting a chance to watch him on a daily basis, what's been the most impressive part of Martinez's transformation for you? I think the way he's worked himself into being a really good overall hitter, not just power. I think the power's always been there. It was a matter of, you know, I guess, uh, honing the swing and getting everything consistent in order to uh, become an effective major league power hitter. But, but I guess beyond that, You've seen him become a, a good overall hitter, able to use the opposite field with authority. And he really, I think what stood out to, to Tigers coach the manager, Brad Austin, last year, really improved his game defensively to where you can look at him now as a defensive strength in the corner outfit. I mean, he was a gold glove finalist last year, which I, I think says a lot. And you can think about where he was coming from a couple years back. And he wants to go off of that. He talked uh, when he reported. Uh, a few weeks ago, 
by trying to hone the mental side of the game. Uh, you know, he still keeps notes, but I think he's learned a little bit more about what notes he wants to keep about his at-bats against guys and what he can throw away. He's got a little bit more of that experience to, to refine what he needs to know, what he, what he wants to record. And I think being around Miguel Cabrera, not just during the season and watching his preparation on an everyday basis, but also now the last couple of off-seasons, being able to work out with him, I think has meant a lot. Yeah, the image that really sticks in my mind is after some of his at-bats, you'd see him go back to the bench and he'd immediately pull out that notebook and he'd start jotting down notes about the at-bat. And he seems like a guy who's very dedicated to the craft. I mean, some of the things he talked about when he revamped his swing was he watched a lot of video and he was able to implement some of those changes. So it seems like he's a guy who really spends a lot of time thinking about the mental side of the game. Yeah, yeah, he's very much a student of the game. I don't know what he was like in Houston in that regard. But it seems like he's been he's really honed that side since he's come over here. And you've seen him. You know, this wasn't just, and he, he admits it, it's not a situation where he's a natural ball player who doesn't have to work. He's had to work really hard to get to this stage where he's an all-star, you know, gold glove finals. And one of the, I think, one of the more underrated overall players in, in the game today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Justin Upton, speaking of underrated, he's been pretty unfairly labeled as a disappointment because he never developed into that superstar everyone envisioned when he debuted at 19 years old back with the Diamondbacks. He's an extremely streaky hitter, but he also hit 25 home runs in three straight years. He stole 19 bases last year. He's only 28, and he's one of the better hitters in the big leagues. How much of an impact is he going to have for the Tigers lineup this season, and where do they see him fitting into that batting order? I think some people see him similar to Yohan uh, Festivus in terms of the athleticism and the all-around impact he can make. I think the intriguing thing for me to follow, and I think for a lot of people, is watching him react in a, with a team where he doesn't have to be the guy. Yeah, where he's one of many guys who would be considered the guy on a lot of franchises. Kind of seeing that impact early on, where he's really blended in. He hasn't been kind of that high-profile athlete where he might have been that type of player in his previous stop. You know, he's kind of been quiet. He's kind of blended in, gotten his work in, you know, kind of been able to uh, almost go, uh, you know, uh, not you know, not really talked about a whole lot, but uh, to be able to plug a guy in like that in left field, I think it's going to make a big difference for these guys. Uh, I think while you saw stretches, we were able to see what this team was like with everybody healthy, everybody in the lineup. You really didn't see it for a lengthy stretch because Victor wasn't right early in the year. Then you had the Miguel Cabrera. Uh, calf injury mid-season. So, you know, this was in a position where he had to pick up some slack there, and maybe a little bit more than what you might have had to expect uh, going into the year. Um, having those guys healthy, not adding Upton to the mix, uh, yeah, I think Upton is in a better position maybe than Festivus was for a large stretch of last season. Yeah, moving over to the pitching side of things, for ace Justin Verlander, the the halcyon days of triple-digit velocity in the late innings, the sub-two ERAs, and 
250 innings. Those days are, are seemingly long gone. However, last year he evolved into a completely different yet surprisingly effective uh, pitcher. By BP's metric deserved run average, Verlander posted the fourth best mark, 2.65 DRA. Of any pitcher with at least 100 innings of work last year, only Clayton Kershaw, Zach Greinke, and Jake Arrieta were better last year. What are some of the adjustments that Verlander's made recently that have led to the improvement in his recent performance? Well, I think he's learned to build off of what he had done in uh, previous seasons as far as picking and choosing his spots to tune up the velocity. Now, he's not a guy who's going to be blazing 99, 100-mile-an-hour fastballs all the time. But when he needs it, he knows it's there. And I think that's what he's aiming for. If he can do that and then work for, for other stretches during the game at like uh, 93, 94, 95, he can make that work. He mixes in the slider. I, I think the slider is more effective now than really it, it's been at any other point in his career. You know, he changes speed effectively. He's got that curveball working like it was back in 2011, 2012 where it's got a sharp break and he can spot. So he doesn't doesn't even have to be a swing and miss hit. If he can freeze hitters on that and get them kind of, I guess, uh, being fearful of that pitch and being caught off guard by it, I, I think that makes him a much more effective pitcher. He's using that overall arsenal in a way that he wasn't using it in the past. And yeah. uh, that, that, was, that was the type of mix that I think the Tigers saw what they were thinking about when they signed him to that long-term deal. They thought with a guy with that many pitches, he should be able to age fairly gracefully and be effective through his mid-30s, not just heading into that age. But because he's a power pitcher and because he's a guy who kind of grew up being able to have that fastball, they kind of anticipated a transition period. Maybe not as as harsh of one as we saw, but that it wasn't necessarily going to be easy. The hope is that we're kind of through that transition and that Verlander 2.0 is here and it's going to stick around for a while. Another big splash the Tigers made this offseason was signing Jordan Zimmerman to a five-year deal. Is there any reason for concern long-term given how much his numbers virtually across the board in terms of ERA, strikeouts, walks, home runs, hits per nine, those numbers were all down last year with the Nationals. Is there any concern about him, or do they think he's a guy who can bounce back with a, a sort of a change of scenery in Detroit? They think he's a guy who can bounce back. He's one of those guys that they, they ran through their analytics. The department had, that had just been built up right around the time when they were looking at guys like Zimmerman, like Jeff Samarja, like David Price, even though they, they kind of figured Price was going to be out of their reach. Uh, that top tier or two of free agent starting pitchers that they knew that they were going to want to grab one guy out of. And they felt like Zimmerman, because of his temperament, because of his uh, Midwestern upbringing, and because of the mix of pitches and because he's able to effectively be that guy to work alongside top pitches like Steven Strasburg early on, and like Max Scherzer last year, they felt like he'd be a good fit here. Even with the, uh, the history of Tommy John, they felt like he was a guy who could be fairly effective. 
going through and wasn't necessarily as big of an injury risk as other teams might have seen him. Is there a more intriguing pitcher on the roster than Daniel Norris, who they picked up for David Price at the trade deadline? What are the expectations for him coming off a year, really, which could not have possibly, I, I think, be more up and down than it was last year, both on and off the field? I can say personally that Norris is the most interesting pitcher I've covered since at least Rick Porcello's rookie season, if not even going back to, to Justin Verlander when he first came up. Wow. So just an interesting personality combined with the type of pitcher who you watch and you know there's more there and you're interested to see what the growth process is in him. The fact that they were able to get him basically for a two-month rental for David Price that, that Toronto wanted badly enough is fascinating. Uh, it's very surprising that, that they were able to get him that type of deal. And the irony is that that really being one of Dave McGrossley's final trades with the Tigers before he got fired could end up being the groundwork for this team being the next iteration of a uh, contending team for the next few years if things go right. I don't think you would look at this team necessarily as a, a team that could contend, that could extend that window if they hadn't gotten North in here. Oddly, it is to think like that, but to be able to have that young, cost-controlled pitching with that type of upside, this team didn't have that before they made those trades for, for Norris, for Matt Boyd, especially for, for Michael Fulmer, getting him in that young test for this trade. Mm. Um, and Norris has really blended into the clubhouse here very well. He's kind of been a guy that Verlander's mentored and, and kind of taught him some of the steps that Verlander went through along the way when he was in that type of spot. But yet, yet their personalities are so different. It's kind of fun thing interaction between <laughs> the two. And um, you know, I'll be interested to see what he does over a full season. What he did down the stretch, I think he was a pretty good glimpse of what he's capable of. The Tigers think he needs to build off of that. I think the big question this coming season is, can he be that type of guy consistently? Can he take that those, you know, that month-long stretch or, or that three-week stretch you had uh, really in, uh, in August and September and turn that into three months, four months, Monday, and uh, you know you're going to have some struggling starts there. If you get that effective Norris for, for half the season or, or two-thirds of the season as a full year, I think they'd feel really good about that. Yeah, if the command improves and he blossoms into a superstar, it really does extend that window out beyond the next couple of years uh when you look at you know we talked a lot about some of the big names on the roster but i want to get your thoughts quickly on who's someone who's a little under the radar maybe like a cameron mabin uh, a james mccann someone like that who isn't getting a lot of attention but is going to have to play a key role on this team if they're going to get back into the playoffs i think mccann's going to have to play a huge role for these guys uh, really as odd as it sounds like for for Caden, only has one full year in the big leagues under his belt in many ways, this is ancient team. He, that role as a catcher, handling this type of pitching staff is huge. It's always been big on this team, which is why Al Cadillo was so important, even though you know, a lot of fans didn't necessarily see that influence he had from afar. But also the, the leadership role he's taken with this club. 
the guy who a lot of people remember the scene with him and the Glaciers in the dugout last August where he basically called the Glaciers out for, you know, plays that many people felt the Glaciers should have made. Now, that had a huge impact, I, I think, on, uh, you know, inside the clubhouse, outside the clubhouse, also, you know, around town with the scene. I think fans saw that, saw a little bit of fire, and they liked what they, what they were winning. Uh, oh, really, this, this team... Sooner rather than later, is going to rotate around being some team leadership if it's not doing that right now. Yeah. Uh, Francisco Rodriguez, is he finally the answer in the closer role that the Tigers have seemingly been searching for, well, forever in the the Dombrowski era? Uh, we'll see. It's interesting. To watch. I'm going to be intrigued to watch it because K Rod's the guy the Tigers could have gotten in the past years and he chose not to. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to see with the change up top of the DM coach that the first major offseason move that, that Al Vila made was the trade for Francisco Rodriguez, which made you wonder how much of that reluctance to acquire him in the past was about something that, that Dave saw. Yeah. Or did something change in the Tigers situation? Or did the Tigers witness a change in what they saw out of K Rod in terms of? leadership or in terms of the way he was pitching. It's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, I think, too, you hear people around Tiger Circles talking about him as a guy who could provide some leadership for their younger pitchers around here. I know uh, Bruce Andone is the guy you instantly think about in that regard, but also guys like Drew Verhagen, uh, Joe Jimenez, uh, guys who might not even make the uh, Basically, team out of camp, but who are going to be counted on versus some uh, significant contributions here in the coming year. Yep, there's one thing about Rodriguez that's worth pointing out. I mean, he's a guy who's throwing his changeup nearly half the time now. He's no longer that power pitcher we all think about uh, from years ago. So he's going to be interesting to watch. And and the last thing I want to ask you about, Jason, I'm asking everyone who comes on this question, but what's the most compelling player or storyline that you're looking forward to covering with the Tigers in 2016? Oh, probably Dan Norris, I'd say. <laughs> he lives in a van. That's uh, that's compelling enough for me. Is he still doing that, yeah, by the he, way? He, no, he uh, he gave that up. He, I mean, he still mm. has the van, but he's commuting you know, rather than living in it. I think he's driving back and forth between here and Tampa. He's got a place there for, uh, or close to Tampa for spring training. So, I mean, it would have been good to have the, uh, the van as a, a fallback option this spring, given the uh, the uh, scarcity of uh, places to stay in Lakeland this spring for some reason. I don't know if the snowbirds invaded and never left or what. Jason, thanks once again for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. So that's going to do it for our conversation with Jason Beck. You can check out his Tigers coverage all season long on MLB.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at BeckJason. Now let's send it over to Ben Lindbergh to wrap things up. All right, that's it for today. Thank you to Rob and Jason for coming on. Sorry that the audio in the second segment was a little hard to hear. Unfortunately, at this time of year, beat writers are busy people and cell phones and spring training fields aren't conducive to audio quality. But if you had your headphones in, I hope you still enjoyed Jason's excellent information. You can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. You can buy our book, which is called The Only Rule Is It Has to Work. 
comes out in two months, May 3rd. Though if you pre-order it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere else, you might get it a little bit early. It's the story of how Sam and I took over an independent league team, the Sonoma Stompers, last summer and tried to apply some of our beliefs about baseball. It's also the story of our relationship to the team and to each other and to the town of Sonoma. And we hope there's something in there for stat heads and story lovers alike. You can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And you can support our sponsor, The Play Index, at BaseballReference.com. Use the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We'll be back with one more preview this week tomorrow. It's going to be the Arizona Diamondbacks. And we know before too long The whole damn thing will go Today, hooray, it's a day. La, 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 la.